1: Let's begin! Hello, listeners! Today, we have Jennifer Benson from New York. She's an English teacher who traveled across the world, as well as a tsunami survivor. She's the author of the upcoming memoir, I Survived a Tsunami and So Can You. So welcome, Jennifer, to the Relatable Voice podcast.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. Thank you.
1: I was looking forward to talking with you. So Jennifer, why did you originally decide to leave New York and travel to different countries to teach English?
0: Well, you know, back, I think I was around the age of 30 and I was in a long-term relationship with a college boyfriend of 10 years. And I was in a teaching job that I wasn't sure if I really liked it. And I, it something just seemed really off in my life. And so I kept kind of asking the universe or for to God for signs, like, am I on the right track? I'm not quite sure that this is all the right fit. And I knew something was off. And my sister was teaching in Kuwait at the time, and there was an opening in her school. And so I applied, and I kind of got my sign, you know, that this was an opportunity, and I just asked for more signs and I said, okay, am I supposed to take this? And I did get more signs. I got a year leave from my teaching job in New York, which um, helped me make the decision to go. So, and of course I had to, you know, break up with the boyfriend of 10 years, but I think that was a good decision. It really wasn't going anywhere. And he ended up moving out to Boston. So that was great for him. And I took the leap. And, you know, taking a pretty big risk moving to the Middle East just because it was so new to me. And um, but I I tried it and I ended up staying a lot longer than a year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you lived in the Middle East and we have that in common. I lived in Bahrain and Dubai, which opened my eyes to a different world. In the beginning, I felt homesick, but after five years, I ended up creating a new home and created so many close friendships. So, Jennifer, how did you adjust to living in a new country, like you experienced the cultural
0: shock? Yeah. I mean, at first I did have a little bit of culture shock, but the school that I was hired at, they keep you busy for the first couple of weeks, trying to get you settled in and taking you on out to dinner and they try to help you, um, you know, get to know the other staff, the other teachers. So you're very busy at first. So you don't really have time to be homesick. But then after a while, I would say after a couple of months, I was homesick, but then you start to look at your teaching friends as your family away from home. And I got to teach kids of, I think, around 25 different nationalities at our school because our school was an international school in Kuwait. Mm-hmm. So it was just nice to be. I was a middle school English as a second language teacher, and it was just so refreshing to work with kids from all different areas of the world and, uh, just to gain their perspective, to learn different perspectives and to be in a culture that's so different from your own. I think you, um, it really, like you said, it opens your eyes to a lot of new things, you know, and, uh, I, I just, uh, really loved it. And I, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't have stayed there for 13 years, but, um, but yeah. And after about eight or nine years, I switched to Qatar and I taught mm-hmm. there Wow. And I like that too.
1: And you spent 13 years there. What were your favorite things about living in the Middle East?
0: Well, you know, I liked being able to, I originally went there also to pay off my college loans because I, I, as a teacher, I was paid a lot more. And it was so nice to be able to have that financial security to pay off my student loans. Um, and as well as to, I got to spend a year with my sister before she went back home, just to get to know other teachers from around the world. Um, the food is amazing. And just being able to go to restaurants over there that we don't have at home. And just to be able to travel and see some of the world. I don't think I would have been able to go to, I think I've been to like over 25 countries. And and if I had stayed in New York, that wouldn't have happened. So It was just a really good learning experience to learn about the world and to become a lot more open-minded. And I found that there was more than one way to do something and that um, you know, it just opened my eyes to new perspectives, and I really grew from it. You know, as a as a person. Yes, it's
1: it's a new world, but you learn so much. And I like I agree with you. The food is so delicious. I really miss their food.
0: Yeah, the variety of food. I miss that variety. And changing the subject,
1: you are a tsunami survivor. And Jennifer, I'm curious to know. Like, where were you when you experienced the tsunami?
0: Right, right. I was, that was a tsunami in 2004. So that was the Indian Ocean. Tsunami that hit Indonesia, Sri Lanka and Thailand and other countries, so that was like the big one and I, my ex husband and I, um, I ended up meeting somebody at the school in Kuwait and we were together at the time we weren't married but we were on a beach in Thailand and noticed the waves had been drawn out into the water it's like the water had been sucked out toward the ocean, the waves really far out were um, building like a wall. Uh, twisting and turning and really kind of ferocious looking and everyone on the beach stopped in their tracks to look at the water but we really had no idea that there had been an earthquake or that a tsunami was coming so everyone's just standing around on the beach staring and some people are actually walking out toward the water mm-hmm. trying to figure trying to figure out what had happened and then finally you know once that first wave there's a set of three waves that usually come with a tsunami. Once that first wave started coming in, there was a diving instructor, she had a little shop on the beach, thank goodness she happened to be coming out of her shop, she looked at the waves and she she was the only one I believe that knew immediately that it was a tsunami and she told us all to run. So we started running um, and you can hear it, the water coming behind us and things breaking. And we headed back up on this path toward our hotel and our hotel was high up in the mountains, thank goodness. But if we didn't have any mountains on that island we would have nowhere to go. We would have been washed right out the sea. So it was quite a blessing that day to have that dive instructor and to have you know, a, a mountain that we could run up to escape it, so
1: yeah wow that must have been a terrifying experience jennifer i i can't even imagine the situation and i believe that uh, like uh, this kind of situation can cause trauma yeah did you did you feel that like if so how did you cope Like, I don't know if you felt like, oh, my God, I cannot go to the beach anymore.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, the the people in Thailand were very afraid that we would never come back. They were afraid that they were going to lose their tourism. But, you know, I mean, I've been back several times since then. But, yeah, I would say the first few months afterwards, you're still quite in shock where you... It didn't really seem, the whole thing didn't seem possible. Uh, I stayed at home a lot more. I know my ex-husband David and I went to Bangkok when we were finally able to get a boat um, Mm -hmm. to get us out of that area where we were in Thailand. We flew back up to Bangkok before we went back to the Middle East. And I did not want to leave that hotel room. I I wanted just to stay in there for the rest of the week. And then even after that, I kind of was really wondering whether or not I wanted to go home to New York. Because I was worried that, oh my gosh, overseas life is so dangerous. (laughs) And it was different. Yeah, (laughs) but but I chose to go back overseas, um, you know, in the long run. But I had moments where I wanted to just, you know, run back home to mom and dad, you know, and feel safe again. Yeah. Yes.
1: When we were in Kopipi in Thailand, we spent like six days there, but I couldn't relax. Because all the time when we were walking around, we saw the warning signs. So I, I started thinking about the whole situation that happened. So I was not really comfortable.
0: Yeah, well, Co-PP also got hit very hard, you know, with the tsunami. That and Phuk- There was an area in Phuket that did too. It was a lot worse than where we were. So it's good that they have these routes on the island and they have... Um, evacuation meeting points, they have sirens now. So I think that tsunami in 2004 put a lot of good safety protocols in place that were very much needed. But the Thai people, I don't think, had ever had a tsunami before. So after that tsunami came, they were walking around in life preservers because they were scared to death that we were going to get another one. Um, So yeah, I understand being nervous. Like the chances of it, obviously, you know, happening again are very slim. But still, when you see those signs, it's a reminder of what did happen. So yeah, it produces a lot of nervous feelings for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. So
1: the title of your memoir is I Survived a Tsunami and So Can You. I love this title. So what does that mean to you?
0: Well, I mean, you know, originally I had a book called it was called Beautiful Possibilities because I wanted to show that even going to the Middle East, that God had such a bigger plan for me and that what turned into a a, came from a possibility was a beautiful possibility. But my uh, but an agent that I was talking to said, no, 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 that's too general. We need to make it stand out. So though I survived the tsunami and so can you, it's not only about the tsunami, it's more about the ebb and flow of life, you know, climbing up those mountains, escaping those tsunamis, so to speak, those big challenges in life, and especially as a woman, being able to take risks. To think outside the box and sometimes to go with things in life that we didn't necessarily plan on but they ended up turning out to be the best thing we ever did um you know and i think that's quite empowering um i i probably i could have said no to going to the middle east but i'm so glad that i did that i said yes And if somebody told me in my 20s that I was going to go teach in the Middle East for 13 years, I probably would have cried. I would have had a heart attack, but it came to me at that right point in my life where I listened to that inner voice. It's called I call it the inner ding. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that it was the right step for me. And it was just something so much bigger than I could ever imagine for myself. And I think, yeah, just surviving those tsunamis and going through life and um, making the most of those challenges and actually coming out even better on the other side. So I think that's really what the book is about, but it's also about my, yeah, the challenges of living in the Middle East and overcoming tsunamis, yeah, for sure. It's very
1: interesting, Uh, very nice. And you said inner ding. So you discussed the idea of having an inner deep journey. So what exactly is an inner
0: ding. Yeah, I um I love that term. I call, I got it from Louise Hay, the motivational speaker, you know, that came out was really big in the 80s. She always says, I follow my inner ding. And the inner ding voice is basically if you want to call it your God voice, your higher self voice, the voice of the universe. It's so, it's somebody that knows you even better than yourself. And I think it's when you ask for guidance from the universe from God, and you get these signs if you if you only ask. So I think, you know, back when I was at my at age 30, I asked, what are the signs? Am I meant to stay here in this job? Am I meant to stay in New York? Oh, and then opportunity comes. And then I asked for more signs and I got more signs and I, I kind of look for the green lights. Okay, yes, this is the thing that I meant to do. So I kept asking, I kept, you know, um, asking for signs and I kept getting them. So then I followed the inner ding. So I, I, I followed that decision that, okay, this is that opportunity, the big opportunity in life, and I don't want to miss it. So that my inner ding voice guided me from all the signs that I got from the universe that this is the opportunity. I didn't have any other opportunity at the time. That was Ooh. the only one. And that made my decision a lot easier um, because, and also I think the inner ding voice is listening to your body when you have a decision to make. So when I opportunity came to teach abroad, I was excited, I was nervous, but it was a good kind of nervous. And I was looking forward to it. But the thought of staying behind felt almost suffocating. So I think listening to your body, finding quiet times in the day to hear that inner voice and to ask for help, ask for the signs, I think that's all part of following that inner ding that's within us.
1: Good, and how do you suggest we let go of the fear and follow the inner ding rather than ignore it?
0: A good question. Um, Well, you know, I think the biggest thing that I felt comfortable with was, okay, here's this opportunity. It landed on my lap. I'm going to apply for this job. If I get it, I'm going to ask for more signs. I think you keep asking. I think you keep asking for signs until you get enough signs where you have enough information to make the decision. And I think that takes away the fear. And and I still had a little bit of fear when I went to the Middle East because I knew it was gonna be such a huge change, but I didn't let the fear stop me. You know, I said, okay, I'm driving the car fear. You can sit in the back seat. You're gonna have to come along with me. But um, I didn't want the fear to prevent me from doing something. I knew that a little fear is natural, but the more signs that I got from the universe you know, I got a yearly from my job, the school in Kuwait gave me a one year contract instead of two. I felt comfortable with that. So that also took away the fear. So ask for signs, ask for signs. And I think once you have enough signs and enough green lights, as we call it, then you're able to take away some of that fear and make that decision one way or the other to make the leap.
1: Mm -hmm. it's like feel the fear and do it anyway
0: (laughs) right yeah and sometimes that takes away the fear when you just jump and do it you know as opposed to staying behind and always wondering what if i think yeah
1: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: And Jennifer, you are now back in upstate New York, yeah? Yes. So how have you adjusted after all your travels and different experiences?
0: Well, you know, I was ready to come back home. So that inner ding kicked back in, you know, um, when I was over there for 13 years and I decided to move back home again, I look for the signs, ask for the signs and I came. I moved back home. My husband and I unfortunately divorced because, you know, he wanted to stay abroad. He's now in the Philippines working and bought a house there. So, but I came back home and I had to restart all over again. But I think I was more fulfilled in the way that I had my family again. I had nature again. I had a lot of big ticket items that I was really lacking my 13 years and my values changed and I became a different person. So the adventure and the trips and the paying off the student loan, I did all that. So then my focus more, my values changed more to community, family, nature, you know, and then once I came home and I felt more grounded again, Um, it was an adjustment, but I felt safe and grounded enough where and comfortable enough where I started writing. So that's kind of how my book came to be. I started looking over my journals and I said, well, maybe I can do something with this stuff, you know? And so I think once you're in the right place, my creativity came out a lot more and I was happier. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I understand you. I I lived abroad as well. And, is good when we travel but it's very good also when we come back yeah
0: right yeah it was good for the time being that it was good you know and I do miss the trips I do but even when I was teaching abroad the trips were really only few and far between there was maybe a couple a year and it just wasn't worth it to keep staying over there with you know as my parents were in their 70s and -hmm. I just felt like I needed to you know to get home
1: yes and people always travel to try and find themselves and find happiness and find inner peace as you said the older we get the more we realize that all of that comes from within and not from our surroundings how did you find your inner peace
0: that's a perfect question because i've been i've been really t- thinking a lot about this You know, when I went through my divorce, obviously I didn't have any inner peace, but I noticed in my life how important inner peace was. And I think I developed inner peace both times when I was on my own, it wasn't when I was in a relationship. So when I left, when I broke up with my boyfriend of 10 years and moved to the Middle East, I was completely on my own. And I remember sitting in my apartment in Kuwait, and I could hear the mosque call early in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I sat there in a chair and just listened to it because it was quite beautiful. And I kept thinking in my mind, okay, I'm not in any dramatic relationship. There's no chaos, there's no uncertainty. And I felt complete and utter peace at that moment. I didn't have to worry about somebody else. And it was a nice feeling to, to be on my own. And then when I after I got divorced, and I moved home again, I had that feeling again, I was on my own for a few years. And I developed once again, that inner peace, I was lonely at times, but I still valued the inner peace that I was feeling, other, you know, above the loneliness. And I knew that if I ever got into a relationship again, it would have to be a peaceful relationship where I can maintain that inner peace in my life or else I would rather be alone really Uh yeah that inner peace to me is it's not worth being in. um I guess in chaos or in a a relationship that's not the right fit you know I've learned that I'm now 50 years old Mm -hmm. how important that peace is in life you know, yeah, I, I agree with you hundred. Yeah. And Jennifer, when is your
1: memoir going to be published?
0: Well, right now I'm working with um, she's a best-selling author, Metty Um Ivy Harrison, and she's written a, quite a few books, but I'm working with her in a mentorship program where she's editing my book. So we are looking at agents. I did get a request for a full manuscript. Um, so that's a good sign. So I'm looking at my goal is to, um, you know, look at latter part of this of next of this year or the early beginning of next year to have my book out. And you will keep writing. Yeah, well, my book that I originally wrote is over 400 pages. So we decided to break it up into two parts So the first part goes all the way up to the part where I'm on the beach with a tsunami and then the second book the sequel will be all those big changes of moving to Qatar and moving back home again so yeah I've been it's all done both books but it's just going through in the editing and I think the editing piece is the most important so yeah that writing and the editing and the revision that's going to go on for you know, in the, at least, you know, another year or so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I have another book in mind for the third book. So yeah, there's always going to be writing because it's so close to my heart and it's who I am. Yeah. My writing
1: is so good. I relate with you. Oh, good. I, I love writing and reading, of course.
0: Yeah. And
1: Jennifer, I chose a quote for you from Sarah Parrish. She says, Living with fear stops us from taking risks. If you don't go out of the branch, you will never get the best fruit. What do you think about it?
0: Well, I think that's true because I think what they always say life starts outside of our comfort zone, you know, and I think we know with me taking that risk to go over to the Middle East and then taking the risk back home, I'm probably the happiest I've ever been, but I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't take that risk to go to the Middle East and the risk to come back home again. Those were big risks. And I hate to say it, but sometimes those risks come with sacrifice and loss. The first time I went overseas, I gave up, you know, my job and the boyfriend of 10 years, which I'm glad. (laughs) But But, you know, I did, you know, have to break those ties and that's scary. But at the same time, I got so much out of it when I went overseas, there were so many more positives than there were negatives. And that's how I knew. And I think when you take those risks, um, that's where the good stuff is, you know, and I guess life is just so much bigger than we can ever imagine. And then the same, when I came back home, I ended up divorcing somebody that I really loved, which I know it sounds crazy, but. Um, but then now where I am right now, I am the happiest I've ever been. It's just your heart knows, you know, and I think taking those risks in life propels you into your most authentic sense of who you really are, according to the values that you hold true to yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. I
0: I admire the fact that you
1: faced your fears and took the risk to live the life you wanted.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know it's scary sometimes with those risks because you're we're so afraid of sometimes making the wrong decision. But I think, you know, like I said, if you ask for enough signs and you feel it with your body, yeah, I'm excited about this. I, you know, the thought of staying behind doesn't feel right. It feels suffocating. I think your body knows too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah this is like, for me, this is, these life-changing experiences are priceless. Right. It changes right. our life completely. And I believe it's always for better, a better yeah, way. I don't know. It's just my idea, but my opinion.
0: Yeah. I read a quote, too, that said... Uh, one lady said stagnant water stinks so stagnant water is water that never moves like an mm-hmm. old pond or you know after a while sometimes it smells and it gets bad you know and i think that's true in life i think we got to mix it up we got to change it up and you know take those risks and think bigger and not think outside the box for sure yeah. you know?
1: and jennifer let us know where we can find you and find also your books.
0: Oh, well, anything to do with my book, I advertise everything on my about my book on my um, social media. So if you go to Jennifer Benson, B-E-N-S-O-N, author, that's my Facebook page. And then also basically Jen Ben Writer. So J-E-N-B-E-N, Writer. That's both for my Twitter and Instagram and then i have a web page as well with my website on it so it's jenniferbensonauthor.com uh, that should take you to my my uh, author page and i have pictures on there of the tsunami and of my teaching experiences in the middle east i have um a lot of i try to write a blog article once a month about inner ding journeys and goals and habits and all these great things and um, so I just wrote about giving up my Diet Coke habit after 30 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's just like quite a few things, you know, that I've been discovering along the way, trying to make time for that along with my writing. So anything to do with my book coming out, when it's coming out, it'll be um, advertised on those pages.
1: Like surviving a tsunami is something like
0: oh thank you
1: <laughs> and the, the the way you reacted to all of these is impressive and i'm very very happy and lucky to be talking with you jennifer
0: oh thank you so much and like i said i'd come on your show anytime it was wonderful. yes
1: i'll see you soon again thank you very much again and come back
0: i will you invite me back okay, okay of <laughs> all right have a good day